Okay, thanks for coming. I'm glad you're here. So tonight is uh, Shavuos, and uh, receiving the Torah of Mount Sinai, and I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, we're going to be, those of you who have a chance, uh, I'm going to be teaching from 2 a.m. to around 5 or maybe even 6 a.m. till Shachris. It's going to be at the Karate Center, um, opposite paths of the, the Happy Minion. And um, so, so I just want to give you a, a little bit of a preview on, on one of the Gemaras we're going to be doing. We're going to do different uh, Midrashim. Um, I'm going to try to concentrate on Midrashim, especially from Gemara Shabbos, that are concentrating on uh, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And um, this is one that I think we might cover tonight, but I'm going to use this as a launching pad to discuss a number of different things. So, so let's begin here. This is on Sandaf Pei Tes Ahmed Aleph 89a, and it's uh, it's a teaching from Rabbi Yeshua Ben Levi, and uh, I think it's a, it's quite a surprising teaching as far as I'm concerned. Um, here it is: Moshe Rabbeinu climbs to the heights of Mount Sinai. He's he's at the top of Mount Sinai with God. Okay, so of course we know God is not a corporal being; He doesn't have a body, but but He's in heaven. He's in heaven. He's in the heights. And uh, Moshe is observing. The Gemara says that Moshe is observing Hashem. What's Hashem doing at that moment? He's tying crowns to the letters of the Torah. Okay, so um, those of you who are familiar with Torah script, you know many of the letters have, uh, it's called tagim, and they, uh, it's almost like a flower sprouting from the top of the letter. And some of them have one, and some of them have even three different, um, three different tagim, you know, and they're, they're crowns, they're, they're beautifications of the letters. So, so the first question I guess we have to ask is, wh- why is God doing that? And what is the relevance you know, vis-a-vis that that's what Moshe is seeing. Let's hold on to that question for one moment, because I want to get to the, the first sort of like uh, event that happens in this, in this meeting between Moshe and Hashem. Um, Moshe is standing there in a state of awe, as you can imagine. And... Um, Hashem says back to Moshe, it says, uh, here I'll give you the language of the Gemara itself, it says, Moshe, ein shalom birecha, which, which, which Rashi translates as meaning, Moshe, are there no greetings in your town? Meaning, Moshe, you're just standing there, you don't say hello? Which is quite, a, quite an amazing thing. Now, Moshe says back to him, is there any servant who greets his master? In other words, Moshe is standing there with a proper degree, seemingly, of reverence. And compounded with an additional dimension of awe. This is what I wanted to suggest a, a few moments ago. There's, um, there's a more extended um, piece of Agadita which overlaps with this event sort of approaching it from another angle about Hashem fastening crowns to the letters. And Moshe doesn't know what these crowns are for. And Hashem explains back to Moshe that there's going to be someone one day, 
and it's Rabbi Akiva who's going to be able to um, learn out different halachas, actual laws, based on these crowns of the letters. And then, of course, later on, I'll just give you a preview of, 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 of that medrash. Moshe says to Rabbi Akiva, like, I, I, I'm not even following any of this. But Rabbi Akiva says, and all of this is learned from Moshe at Har Sinai. So it all kind of goes back to Moshe, even at this moment, when he observes Hashem tying the crowns to the letters. In other words, with the other medrash in mind, we can understand that, that, that God is appearing before Moshe at this point in, in the utmost state of, of awe and, and greatness, because Hashem is occupied in an activity at that moment that we know from another source that Moshe doesn't even grasp, which is what these, the purpose of these crowns are. So, let me just recap that, just to make sure that we're following each other. Moshe ascends to the heights. Hashem is in His greatness, but not just in His greatness, but even a level beyond, because He is engaging in an activity which is even beyond Moshe's comprehension at that moment, which is fastening these crowns, the purpose of which Moshe doesn't grasp at this point. So, so the king is in his utmost kingliness. How is Moshe supposed to react? What's the appropriate reaction? Silence. Reverential silence. Which is all the more striking that Hashem says back to Moshe, Nu, you don't say hello? So with that, we've got to figure out what that means. We've got to look into that. Because what Moshe says back to him, does a servant... You know, address his master. In other words, isn't it understandable, my mode of behavior? Isn't this a proper level of respect that I'm supposed to be showing? Now, Hashem says back to him something else. Something very, very interesting. He says, I'm going to read in the Hebrew, Hayelacham Lazraini. The way the art scroll translates it is, you should have at least offered me support. I.e., well, before we get to the Rashi, let me give you the more literal translation over here, which is, it was really for you to help me. You should have helped me. So, what, what does that mean? So, so the Rashi on that is, Hashem is saying to Moshe, you should have said to me, you should have said, may your labors be successful. And it says, Immediately, Moshe said to Hashem, and now may the strength of my Lord be magnified as you have spoken. That, that Pasa comes from Bamidbar, from Parshas Shlach, when Moshe is endeavoring to, to save the Jewish people from being wiped out at the time that the spies have delivered the, the bad report about Eretz Yisrael. Um, so that was like one of the chief crisis moments in the history of the Jewish people. And that was one of the prayers that, that Moshe said to Hashem. But let me just um, elaborate over here. What, is, what does Rashi say that, that it means that you should have... Uh, that you, what is the meaning that of, of Hashem saying to Moshe, you should have helped me, you should have supported me? So Rashi says, Moshe should have prayed that God assist his people to overcome their desires and observe the Torah. 
Any assistance rendered to the Jewish people is assistance rendered to God. As it says in the Midrash, um, Vayikra Rabbah 9.3, the salvation of the Jewish people is the salvation of the omnipresent. So, so it comes out that what Moshe should have done is prayed for the success of the Jewish people. So now it's sort of like collapse, collapse all of the steps over here, and then we're going to go back and review it and ask a, a bunch of questions. So, so that means that the way to say hello to God is to pray for the success of the Jewish people. Because remember, God's first question was, don't you say hello? And then, and then it turns out what that means is actually to pray for the success of the Jewish people. So that means the way to say hello seemingly to God is to pray on behalf of the Jewish people that they should be successful. Since the success, since the success of the Jewish people correlates with the uplifting and the success of God. Okay, so now let's go through this again, because I want to give you my, my, my understanding of this, and um, I think that what, what this is coming to uh, address, at least on one level, is a great question that all of us have, and it's an understandable question and a proper question, which is, how do we relate to God? How do, especially, how do we relate to God, you know, during during the times when there's not sort of a structured relationship. In other words, during the repetition of the Shemona Esrei, I know how to relate to God. I know exactly what to do. I stand up. I've got my feet together. I wait for Kedusha. When it's time to say Kadosh, 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 I say that. I don't talk to anybody. That's, I, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I do. It's, it's, it's very wonderful, actually. What do I do when I'm standing in line at Starbucks? Unclear. Very unclear. You know, it's, it's, there is all these guidelines and all this sort of like wonderful, you know, structure goes out the window. So, so I believe that what this medrash is coming to address is is, is to put our heads, so to speak, in the right space on how to relate to God in general. So now let's go through it again with that in mind. So, so God is doing something absolutely awesome. He's in heaven tying crowns to letters. Alright? Something even beyond Moshe's understanding. So God in His greatness. So Moshe is standing before God in His greatness. On the top, you know, of Mount Sinai, and uh, well, it says the heavenly heights. Let's leave it at that, the heavenly heights. But I, I believe it's Mount Sinai, and um, and says nothing. Now God clearly isn't happy with Moshe just standing there saying nothing, right? So, so let me. Let's go a little bit deeper into this thing right now. Now, as we said, it seems that Moshe's, Moshe's um, stature at the time, his, 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 his mode of behavior, is very understandable. It's filled with awe and reverence. What, what more could you ask of a creation of God? That, 
That seems to be the, the, the proper thing. But seemingly, Hashem wants more from Moshe at that moment, doesn't He? He says, don't you say hello? Alright, now we're going to, as we see, saying hello, there's a little bit more to hello than just saying, hey God, what's going on? Right? There's a little bit more to it. It's, it's actually praying on behalf of the Jewish people. But first, a mindset has to be corrected, which is that, and, and here's where I'd like to offer uh, an insight, which is that reverence is always good, but everything has to be modulated. And too much reverence can be a straitjacket. And so Hashem certainly wasn't asking Moshe to be disrespectful. Certainly was not asking that. Certainly was not asking him to treat Hashem's covet casually. Certainly that wasn't it. And yet Hashem seems to have, have seen that, that Moshe could have been being productive at that moment Right? Because ideally he should have been being praying on behalf of the Jewish people and the success of Hashem. And yet, Moshe in this reverence mode was just shut down completely. And Hashem desires for us to be not shut down. That we should be flowing. We have to be flowing. You know, a teaching that I heard in the name of the Zohar, that um, it's a... Boy, it's, it's one of these uh, teachings that after you hear it, it sounds very simple. But, you know, it's, uh, there's so much contained in it. A person is compared to, uh, or, or, or one, one, one form of behavior which has to be corrected. When a person is sort of shut down, like Moshe is at this moment, from in, in this modality, if you will, of, of reverence, to a, a, a stream or a river that's been dammed, meaning there's a, there's a blockage, there's a dam in front of the water. When the water, when water stays stagnant, then after a while, disease can take place in the stagnant water. Mosquitoes, malaria can become like a swamp if the water is just dammed up and it just stays stagnant. So it is with a human being. Light is coming down. Blessing, life is coming down from above all of the time. If a person just keeps all of these things welled up inside of them, it's not, it's not a good thing. It has to flow. It has to flow. Just like the water has to flow, so it has to flow inspiration that comes down from above. Life that comes down from above has to manifest itself in terms of action. Now that doesn't mean, let's make sure that we don't overlearn that teaching, that doesn't mean that therefore, oh, I got an idea, now I got to tell everybody my idea. That no. <laughs> there is a role for a dam. There is a role for a dam. There is a role for restraint. But it can't be all restraint. Because all restraint means getting shut down. 
person has to know when to say what to say. But a person can't keep all the light and energy and life inside of them without action because that produces, you know, you know, if you break up that word disease in English, dis-ease, it's, it's not, it's imbalance. Because all of us have what to contribute. So there is Moshe Rabbeinu, and he's standing before God, and he's just, you know, in the, in, in the utmost reverential form. Which again, on the face of things, seems understandable, but if it's so proper, then why does God say to him, "No, they don't say hello where you come from." If it was so, if it was such a perfect mode of reverence that Moshe was in, why is God correcting him? Seemingly, there has to be something that's a little bit off. That it's too much. It's too much being shut down. Especially Moshe, who his, his Moshe's, the reason why we're standing here, you know, over 3,000, what is it, 300 years after his death, whatever it is, is that because he's still alive, he never shut down. He, ne- he was, you know, he never stopped. Okay. So, so don't you, are don't they say hello in your city? Now, I just want to approach that just from a, a literary standpoint for one moment, because um, because it seems to me what's so remarkable about this. I'm, and now I'm talking as a uh, professional comedy writer, who who is a uh, who is a, a bit of a student in different forms of humor. This is sarcasm, <laughs> and you know. You know, it's like when the Jewish people, there's certain moments of great moments in sarcasm in the Torah that I've noticed. I think perhaps the best example is when the Jews say to Moshe in the desert, when they think they're all going to die, weren't there enough graves in Egypt for us? (laughs) You had to take us out into the desert to kill us all? That's sarcasm. That's that's sarcasm. Don't don't they have don't they say hello in your city? Don't they know how to say hello in your city? He could have said Moshe say hello or Moshe greet me. This is a very particular mode of communication that we have a word for in English. So I think I think that that's I think that that's kind of remarkable. It's you know I, I don't want to I don't want to go too far with this thought but 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 you know you know uh, actually no one's asked me in a while but people used to ask me a lot they say, they used to ask me does God have a sense of humor <laughs> you know and um, that question used to really irritate me because because what God doesn't play jokes on us and that's how I always understood the question you know. And, and so I eventually came to answer the question, you know, that God creates humor. He, he, it's more than that. He, he creates humor. He doesn't... So to that extent, he has a sense of humor, quote-unquote, in that he's created this thing called humor. But here you see, there seems to be a... a uh, in, in terms of trying to get Moshe to this place that the Medrash goes to at the end 
which is to get Moshe to in fact interact with God, but to interact with God on that most elevated plane, which is reverence, but proactive reverence. In other words, which is to pray on behalf of the Jewish people, which is the conclusion of this medrash. That, that, that's the modality, that's the... That's too fancy a word for me to use. I apologize. I feel like a... Um, feel like a speaker that I would not want to attend one of his talks. If, <laughs> okay, you use modality twice. If you want me to come back next week, cut it out. <laughs> but this, this mode, if you will, God gets him to... So, so let's, let's arc it out so that we, we understand where this is going. I, th- I think you're following me, but I want to make sure that it's clear. Moshe starts off in this very reverential place, but isn't speaking. By the end of his interaction with Hashem, he's still in a very reverential place, but now he's praying on behalf of the Jewish people, which according to Rashi, is also praying for the success of God's mission in this world. Is that clear? He's gone from reverential, but inactive, to reverential, but very active and productive. Is, is that clear to everyone? So, so that in itself is, is I think, a great lesson to, to all of us. How do we interact with Hashem when there aren't those established guidelines? Because Hashem is absolutely everywhere, as we know. Wherever we go, we're standing before God. So, you know, this, this I think, comes up a lot um, where, when people try to figure out how can I be more um, focused in prayer, you know, in shul? And to me, that's always a strange question because because you, you want to be more focused in prayer in shul? It doesn't, it's not about when you're in shul. If you want to fix that, it's about when you're outside of shul. It, the more you can be aware during all the time when you're not in shul, that you're standing before God, then when you get to shul, it will almost be automatic that it will be like, wow, now it's, now it's totally clear and now I can really go for it. You know, it, you'll, you'll, you'll be in the proper frame of mind. Um, you know, there's, there's a teaching like this. Um, we talk about at the end of uh, this this this. Torah is brought in the, the art scroll Siddur in the name of the Pshiska Rebbe says um, in, in Yishtabach at the end we say Bishire Zimra that these um, that the that, that, that these songs these songs of praise you know um, you know they should be to you God you know uh, to you know to the living God um, and and uh, Melech Chei Olamim. Yeah, that's that's Nusach Sfart. Um, so Shirei, the Shiska Rebbe says, comes from the word Shirayim. That what God really wants is not so much these songs of praise in Shul, but Shirayim is what a, a Rebbe gives at his tish. It's the it's the leftover food. He has food, and then he shares 
the rest of his food, which is sort of like a banquet, he distributes it out to the Hasidim. So the Shirayim are the leftovers. So what is the real praise to God? Not so much the songs, the Shir, the Shirei, the, that's plural of songs, not sort of the, the Shirei in Shul, but the Shirayim, what's left over after you leave Shul. That's, that's the real praise to God. That's the real praise to God. And then, of course, it's a, it's a um, you know, whatever the opposite of a vicious circle is, it's a viciously wonderful circle where, where if you can sort of like take it to the outside, then you come back even with more strength when you, when you come back into Shul. And you, you have more kavan and more focus. Okay, so, so again, I'm trying to make this as practical as possible. One is walking down the street. One is aware of God's presence. What do you do? Well, if you have something to pray for, you have a personal need or something like that, that that's, that's one category of, of talking to God, which is very, very good. But let's say you don't feel pressed with a personal need. Or, or someone else's needs. Someone's sick, they're in the hospital, God forbid. Or, or whatever it is, you're praying for someone, whatever it is, who, who has a need. Okay, so, so on your mind at that moment isn't the needs of others, and it's not your own personal needs? What are you doing? You're in, you're in nowhere's land. You're aware that you're standing before God. What do you say? So the answer is, you pray on behalf of the Jewish people. That success for Israel is success for God. This is how one says hello to God. You see, you have to understand something, and let's get a little bit deeper right now. Which is, Hashem wants to bless the world with every good thing in the world. Hashem desires to and longs to bless the world with every, every good thing. But if we ourselves don't have vessels to hold this heavenly light, then it comes down like an outpour. And it comes down in the wrong form. I'll give you an example. Tonight is Shavuos. How many days was Moshe Rabbeinu up in Shemayim getting the Torah? Forty days. Okay. Where else do you see something coming down from heaven for 40 days? <laughs> the rain, the flood at the time of Noah. Rabbi Wolfson brings down, what is water compared to? Torah. Torah. So wow, so we have this incredible parallel. 40 days of rain from heaven which wipes out the world. 40 days of Torah which comes down at Mount Sinai which enlightens the world. Water, Torah. Same thing on, you know, on one level. So you have these two parallel events. One wipes out the world, the other transforms the entire world. What's the difference? So Rabbi Wolfson says that the Torah could have been given at the time of Noah, but we weren't on the level to receive it. So when it came down, it came down in a form that we couldn't handle. Hashem longs to bless the world with everything. You know, 
one of the things that kind of ruined rainbows for me, you know, <laughs> the secular world loves rainbows. And we even have a blessing that we say when we see rainbows. So, you know, we have sort of like a, we have a very mixed, complicated relationship with rainbows, you know. Rainbows are, one, one explanation that I, that I heard, which I like, is that it looks like a bow, as in a bow and arrow, right? But the bow is pointing upwards. Because Hashem says in the Torah that the rainbow will be a sign to you after it rains that I'm not going to bring the flood. That I'm going to keep my promise not to destroy the world through a flood. So, just like a bow and arrow, when it attacks, it's pointed toward you. The rainbow is pointed up toward the sky, away from the earth. In other words, it's a sign that Hashem won't bring this, this attack, if you will, however you want to describe it, down to the world. The, it's in peace mode. It's a bow, which is an imp, a, a weapon, but it's in peace mode. Okay? But one of the explanations that I heard, <laughs> can't quote the source, I'm sorry, but um, it makes sense to me, is that, is that if, it rain, if you see a rainbow, it's actually a sign of heavenly displeasure. Because Hashem is showing, why would Hashem have to remind us that He's not going to destroy the world? You know, you know honey, I want to tell you something. This was an amazing dinner. I'm not going to divorce you. Huh? <laughs> what a, I just cooked you a, a delicious dinner. What are you talking about divorce for right now? Obviously, obviously, the fact that Hashem is reminding us after a rainfall that He's not going to destroy the world. Okay, so it's a sign of love on, 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 and, and keeping His word on some point. But why is He choosing to remind us? So there's some instance of displeasure there. There's some element of displeasure there. In fact, you ready for this? One of the one of the laws of guarding your tongue of of lashon haram, not speaking lashon haram, is that if you see a rainbow, you're not supposed to tell someone else that there's a rainbow over there. Why? Because it's you're you're spreading gossip, so to speak, that there's this element of displeasure. So, so that's okay. So, so that's kind of hard to understand because if you do see it, there's a mitzvah, and seemingly we should run to do a mitzvah or whatever it is. And okay, so okay, you have to work it through on your own. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just giving you ideas to sort through here. Um, but, but the point is the following. Let's get back to the essential idea over here, which is that Hashem longs to bless us with every good thing. And, and to the extent that we can be worthy, we're trying to explain the following statement, just to remind you where we're at in this discussion right now. Why is the success of the Jewish people God's success? This is the point we're focusing on right now. Because, because God longs to bless us with everything, to the extent that we're worthy of blessing, to the extent that we can turn water into Torah, if you will, 
to the extent that we can have vessels to receive the light, then God is able to do what He desires to do. So to the extent that we're worthy, that's good for God, because then God gets to bless us more, which is what God wants to do. One of the things that we have to do tshuva over is to the extent that there isn't a full surfeit, a full amount of blessing in this world, is that we're kind of bothering God on some level. Because we're not allowing Him to do what He wants to do, which is to bless the entire world. So, in fact, this is a definition that I heard from Rabbi Weinberg, Simcha Weinberg, in the name of the Taz, for the shot of what it means, L'shem Shemayim. L'shem Shemayim means for the sake of heaven. Usually what that means is that I, I am doing a mitzvah with no ulterior motive. I just, want, I just want to make God happy. Okay? But the way I, I heard it explained is that L'shem Shemayim means I'm doing it for the sake of heaven so that Hashem, so to speak, should benefit. Not that I'm doing it with... In other words, the focus of the activity when you do something with Shem Shemayim for the sake of heaven is not me. I have done the mitzvah in a pure way. Shift the focus. Your whole focus is on heaven. You've done it for the sake of heaven. You've done it for God so that because you have God's happiness, so to speak, in mind so that God should be able to rain down His blessings on this world. So that's a beautiful way to go through life. In other words, I'm here for God. What I'm doing is so that God can accomplish in this world. And I'll just speculate for a moment. I'll just speculate for a moment. And I might be totally wrong here. You know, ozer, ozer is such a clear Hebrew word. It means to help. It, you know, help. That's that's the translation of Ozer. I'm 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 wondering why the Art Scroll Gomorrah over here translated it as um, you should have offered me support. Why didn't they say you should have? Well, just a straight translation. You should have offered me help. Because I think I think that perhaps this is all speculation in terms of trying to get into the shoes of the translator here. For some people who have a less sophisticated understanding of, of Torah, the idea of, I have to help God, is a little bit problematic. Because God, as we know, is all-powerful, and God doesn't need our help. And yet, on some level, God made us partners with Him in creation, and God structured the world in such a way where when we do something, that allows Him to do something. He made us sort of a key element, and this was His doing alone, not because He couldn't do it on His own, but He made us this this partner with Him, this key element with Him, in order to bring about, in order to bring about the perfection of the world. And that's... um. That's very humbling. That's very humbling. To think that on some level, in certain instances, 
God waits for us to do the thing we have to do so that He'll do the thing that He wants to do and can do without us. You know, one of the... Um, a Torah that I heard in the name of the Vilna Gon, one of the many infinite fields of study in Torah, is what did God create the seventh day? Because seemingly if you look at the, the account in Breshis, God finished His work on this, in six days and rested on the seventh day. And it, but then there's this very sort of like a mysterious word that's used. God finished everything that He needed to do um, during the six days and rested on the seventh day so that He could do lasos. He uses the word lasos, which means to do in reference to the seventh day. So they're saying, what is the word lassos happening on the seventh day? If you already did everything you need to do during the six days, why is the word, you know, from God's point of view, lassos to do being used on the seventh day? Seemingly he did something on the seventh day. What did he create on the seventh day? So the, the most um, standard answer is rest. Okay, so God created the whole concept of rest. Okay, there's something there. But I heard something in the name of the Vilna Gon that I thought was phenomenally deep, which is that God created lack. God created, in other words, God fills the entire world, right? But He created this, this role for us that, that we need to do. He created a certain lacking in the world. So... So, you know, I, I, I said it the other day, and um, I'll say it again, which is when you realize how central a role we play in the world, it's so important, you can't take it, you can't take it too seriously. And then simultaneously, you'd better take it absolutely seriously. <laughs> you can't take it too seriously. What I mean by that is, you can't allow it to shut you down. Moshe Rabbeinu stands before God in His majesty at the beginning of this medrash, and he's not doing anything. He has to be doing. God says, they don't say hello from in the, in the, in the city where you come from. But then the, does that mean that then, you know, you know, Moshe should take out, you know, reach into his garb and take out a pair of dice and say, okay, God, you know, let's hang. No. What does Moshe do? God instructs him, pray. Fulfill your role, pray. I heard Rabbi Sitran say one time that, you know, another, one of the great sort of like tragic moments in, in human history, Noah experiences the flood, takes care of every animal in the world, you know, or a representative of every animal in the world. And by the way, a wonderful Torah, Rabbi Wolfson says that, you know which animals were chosen from the species? The tzaddikim from each species are the ones who got onto the ark. 
which is great, you know? So it was like the holy representatives of each of the species. And he's feeding them all for a year. And one time he misses the feeding schedule of the lion who cripples Noah, kicks him, you know? Because apparently Noah needed this education in chesed. He didn't, he, for whatever reason, he didn't save the world. So now... He's getting his training course in saving everyone, feeding everyone, providing for everyone. And then the first thing that he does when he gets out, well, the first thing he does is he makes a sacrifice to God, which God says he loves, 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 loves. Second thing he does is he gets drunk. Right? He plants a vineyard and he gets drunk and then he either gets sodomized or castrated, depending on which way you learn. I mean, it's... It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrendous end. It's a horrendous end. And why did he take a drink? And I heard Rabbi Citron say that, that um, he needed a drink after, after, that, after that experience. He said it. He said, I'm, he said, I'm saying this half-jokingly. When he said it, he said it, I'm saying it half-jokingly. But he also said, there's an element of, of truth in what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say. It was completely overwhelming, that process. As you can imagine, if you were there, getting off the ark and having to start the entire world over again. How many of us have to start our lives completely over again? It's, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. So we can't allow ourselves to get shut down. We can't allow ourselves to get shut down. Moshe stands before the majesty of God and he doesn't do anything. And Moshe has to be davening. He has to be davening. He has to be. That's his role. He's got to be davening. And Hashem, through in a sort of like a humorous way, slightly humorous way, loosens Moshe up just sufficiently, redirects his course, tells him, tells him what to do, and then Moshe is there and he's davening. And, and it's interesting, it's interesting that, um, that he says this prayer. Why this prayer at the, that's taken from, from the sin of the spies? Right? And now may the strength of my Lord be magnified as you have spoken. It's uh, by Midbar, Numbers 14, 17. Because seemingly this was one of Moshe's greatest prayers that he ever said. This was one of the prayers that Moshe said when he saved the entire Jewish people. So, you know, the role, the role of a, a teacher and a student is to sort of like, to adjust, to adjust the student and to get them to that great place where they can be. Because at the end of this little adjustment, Moshe is saying one of the greatest prayers that he ever said. Right? There are many prayers that could have been referenced here. This was a prayer that saved the entire Jewish people. So, so God should bless us that that we shouldn't have any downtime. I had the privilege of addressing a group of uh, students at UCLA last week. Uh, they were, it was this graduating class. 
was in the graduation speech, but in this particular Jewish studies program. And the first thing that I said to them is that there's no such thing as graduation in Judaism. (laughs) Just like there's no such thing as vacation, (laughs) there's no such thing as downtime. To the extent that you have downtime, it's just, it's in order to rest so that you can be more productive. So your downtime isn't really downtime. It's not like, okay, God, you you disappear. No, it's just me. That, that's not it. It's like, God, please, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go into this mode so that I can... In other words, it's, a, it, 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 it's, not a, it's not a withdrawal. It's an active step. God, now I, I, I must go into rest mode so that I can recoup strength in order to serve you with. Um... Right now we're on the 49th day of the Omer. That's like, that's the top. That's the top. And then tonight is Shavuos. You would think that we would count to 50th day. I mean, the thing that it always reminds me of, it reminds me of two things, is, you know, Rosh Hashanah, the whole month of Elul, we're blowing the shofar, but then, Erev Rosh Hashanah, the day before Rosh Hashanah, we don't blow the shofar. And then, of course, on Rosh Hashanah itself, we, that's, the, that's the mitzvah, to blow the shofar. We're counting, 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 and then tonight, we don't count. This interesting sort of parallel. And, of course, at Har Sinai, the shofar blast heard around the world. It says, unlike a human, when a human blows the shofar, it gets louder and louder and louder, and then softer and softer and softer. When God blew the shofar, it just got louder. <laughs> it gets softer. The question is, going by the answer, why are we counting? Well, one of the most sort of straightforward answers, classic answer, is that, you know, it's sort of like, let's say you're going, you're going like a special event is happening. So then you're, you're counting because you're, it means so much to you. Only seven more days. Only six more days. Only two more days. Only one more day. So it's anticipation. So that, that's good. Except we have a problem. We don't count from 49 down to 1. We count from 1 to 49. So who counts like that? Like... I don't even know how to do that in terms of a trip. Right? Like, my trip is in seven days. It's day five. It's day six. No, no one thinks like that. So I was, I was trying to get an answer to this question, and I came up with the following. You know who counts up? People with money. <laughs> Let's say you want trying to get to a million dollars. You don't say, as your business becomes more and more prosperous, I only need another $20,000. I only need another $10,000. You say, I have (laughs) $980,000. I have $990,000. No millionaire counts like, just another nickel and I'm a millionaire. No, no. (laughs) You count up because... You're harnessing attainment. This is, this is a time you're going through all the spheros and you're fixing your character traits. 
ideally, this is what we're supposed to be concentrating on now in this period of the calendar. And so we're arriving at Har Sinai with all of this accomplishment. We're rich with deeds. We're rich with mitzvahs. We're rich with vessels in order to hold Hashem's light. Hashem should bless us that we should receive it. The whole world should receive it. And we should be able to fix whatever needs fixing. And we should just be able to cling to God's Torah all times, all times, when it's clear what we should say and when it's clear, not clear what we should say, so that we constantly are being active and productive and the creation, the fulfilled creations that God made us to be. Yeah.